All right, well, um, I'm really excited about a few things. Um, if you'll notice, we got the wall painted, which is super cool. Uh, big news, whoop, whoop. Um, but we got the wall painted because we are changing up a few things. Uh, we had some very pretty lights and uh, decorations and stuff back there, but um, recently we got a new logo, and this will be coming up uh, in some beautiful banners next week. Um, have, any of y'all, have y'all seen the new logo yet? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so this is our new logo, and never mind, I'm not going to say that. Um, okay, I'm going to say it. Uh, I thought the old logo looked like some stick figures and usually reminded me of uh, a children's ministry, and so I'm just going to say it. I'm really happy about our new logo. I think it looks really cool, and uh, I also really love what it means. So uh, our new, sorry if any of y'all like just really love the old logo. Um, I apologize if I hurt your feelings. But anyway, this new logo, um, it has, you see, the Bible, it has the chalice, and it has the, uh, the dove. And these are symbolic of the three S's that the church um, has seen really essential to our vision and just our identity and who we are and how we want to pursue Jesus and the ways that we think that uh, are necessary to pursue Jesus. And so uh, the, those three S's in the logo, um, you got the Bible for Scripture guided, you have the chalice, which stands for the sacraments, sacrament grounded, and then you have the dove, which is um, significant, or it signifies the spirit, spirit gifted. And so whenever we were running through all this stuff, and uh, just the elders and uh, the staff and everybody were going through the vision, the new vision for the church, um, we were talking about these, and Luke started going through them, and the elders started going through them, and we got scripture guided. And I'm like totally on board. I love that. I love the Bible. I grew up in an evangelical church where the Bible is preached every single week. Um, I read my Bible every day. I try to read my Bible every day. And, you know, I went to seminary to go learn more about the Bible, did all of that, spent lots of money there. And so I'm totally on board with Scripture guided. I love the Bible. I'm all about it. And then you got uh, the dove. You got the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, Spirit gifted. Is, is the term. And I'm all about that too. Love the Holy Spirit. You know, I grew up in an evangelical church, but just as I went to college, the Lord started doing things in my life and just started to really illuminate to me and reveal to me how important and essential the Holy Spirit is to the church and in everybody's walk with Christ. And so I went off and I married a Pentecostal girl and I just haven't looked back. And so I'm super excited when we talk about spirit gifted. Spirit gifted, woo, totally on board for that as well. So we got scripture guided, and we got spirit gifted, and then they're like sacrament grounded. And I was like, woo. You know, I, I, went, I went, I grew up in a church where we did communion every week, and it was important, but I'm going to be honest, I didn't really, I, I didn't really get it. You know, I'm, I'm like, yes, it's important. You got uh, spirit guided, like the Holy Spirit is God himself. And so I'm like, yes, this is very important. And, you know, Scripture is the word of God uh, to us. And then you got sacrament. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest. I'd put those two up here and then sacrament, I'd put like 
you know, somewhere lower down here in just the way that I understand things. Uh, and we were actually having a talk. This was back whenever we were in quarantine, and we were, uh, it was like an elder staff meeting, and we were kind of just trying to figure out what we were going to do. This was right before we were going to come back and to meeting in person, and we needed to talk about communion just because of the way that, uh, you know, COVID and germs and stuff like that. And so we're just kind of reassessing communion. And so Terry got us in a circle like Terry does, and he got us sharing like Terry does. And he says, uh, what does communion mean to you? How do you understand communion? And, you know, everybody went around and they said, you know, what they thought about communion, what it meant to them. And it got to me, and I shared what I felt about communion uh, and sacrament. And I said, well, you know, I'm not totally sure why communion is important, if I'm being honest, but Jesus said to do it, and so we do it. And I felt like that was a really good spiritual answer. I felt like that was humble. I felt like that was me being a very obedient follower of Jesus. Like, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I trust Jesus. I'm going to do what he said to do. And then right after that, there's some silence, and Luke says, that is what's wrong with the church. <laughs> Luke said that, and Luke's very nice. So when Luke says something like that, you know you're very wrong. And so Luke said that, and I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, but it was enough to make me go and feel very uncomfortable and wrong. And so it's, and here's the thing. So if you didn't get this yet, like I don't, I didn't really understand the whole sacrament aspect of what the vision of the church is. Uh, and so, and it's not that I didn't get it. Like I went to seminary and I learned all the things about communion. I can tell you the history and I can tell you the, the meaning behind it and what other churches have believed and all that stuff. Um, so I understand, I know the things about communion and about sacrament, but I didn't honestly really understand why it's all that important obviously. And then I went through, and Luke's trying to explain all this to me, and, you know, we had many sermons on it. I recorded all the videos and edited all the videos, and so I heard all of the videos about five or six times, and then me and Luke ourselves just sat down. He would try to talk to me and explain some of these things, but honestly, I just, I just didn't get it. And it wasn't until, yes, the sermons and the videos and all the teaching has helped me, but it wasn't really until we started I started really coming to the table and trying to experience it for myself and open up my heart to these things that Luke and the elders and all, all of that that we've been talking about. And so here's the thing about me, and here's what communion, I'm going to just share a little bit about my journey real quick, and then we're going to get into the Bible, I promise. But one of the things that really helped me with communion, something you got to know about me, I really want to see God move. I look in the Bible and I see all these things that God did. I see God speaking to people in the Bible. I see God healing people in the Bible. I see God performing miracles. I see God doing all of these amazing things that happen in the Bible. Now, don't worry, like, don't, you don't have to come up to me afterwards and be like, well, God, well, Josh, God works like in the everyday, too. God works in things that are not miraculous. I know that. I know that's true. But we don't discount the overtly miraculous things for the things that are everyday miraculous things. Does that make sense? And so, like, I have 
given myself to wanting to see God move, and I want to hear God's voice in my life, and I want to see big things that God's doing in my life and the life of people around me. But when you live that way, and we've talked about this a little bit before, there is ultimately, you're going to face disappointment at one point or another. Whenever you're expecting God to do something and it doesn't quite happen the way that you wanted it to. You see, whenever you don't expect God to do anything, you're usually never really disappointed. Or at least not in that, not, you're not ever disappointed in God. And it's a really safe way to live. But whenever you're expecting God to move, you're expecting God to answer prayers, you're expecting God to do things, you're expecting God to speak to you, then sometimes you can be let down whenever your expectations aren't met the way that you want them to. And so I've carried that, and a lot of times um, I've come into church, and there are times where, you know, I come in and shaking hands, smiling, you put on the church face and stuff, and uh, come in, try to crack a couple of jokes and the welcome and all that stuff, and everything seems great. But honestly, um, I'm feeling insecure, or I'm feeling um, insufficient, or I'm feeling like just overall there's things that I'm wanting to see God do in my life, and I'm not seeing it, do, seeing it happen, or I'm wanting to see God move in certain ways in other people's lives around me, and I'm not seeing it happen, and it comes with this feeling of I'm not doing enough. Or it comes with this feeling of, I'm not good enough. And you sit down, you go to your prayer list, and this name has been on their way too long, and all of this stuff. And so what really happened for me is wanting to see God move and wanting to see the evidence of him in my life, uh, those feelings that came with that of insufficiency and just not doing enough, I would come into church with those feelings and have those things wearing me down. And we go through the sermon, and we go through the songs, and I'm still wrestling with these thoughts, but then it'd be time to come to the table. And I would come forward and I would look at the cross and I would come forward and I would receive the bread and I would receive the cup. And I stand there and I hold these things in my hand. And the, there are these physical, tangible reminders that God loves me. There's physical, tangible reminders. You see in my head, there's, there's these thoughts of, well, I think God loves me, but I'm pretty sure he's pretty disappointed in me, or I'm pretty sure he's not pleased with me, all these things, uh, because I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing this. And I come, and I hold these things in my hands, and I remember, oh, this is why this was necessary. This is why Jesus had to die. I'm holding his body and his blood in my hands, and I'm remembering, oh, God does love me. And I am insufficient, but that's okay. Here's the problem. I don't know what feelings all of you wrestle with. You might not share the same thing I do, but I know that each and every person in this room comes to church every Sunday with something, with some kind of feeling. And here's the deal. is feelings and our thoughts are good, and they're good servants, but they're terrible masters. And sometimes in our life, we give them way too much credit, and they can just feel like they're overwhelming. But how you feel is not always how you are. You can feel a certain way, but it's not actually the truth about what's inside of you spiritually. I can come to church and I can feel like, man, I don't know, like, can I come to God? Are my, did God really forgive me for that? And maybe God forgives me, but does he even really want me? Does he need, like, some cool down time after the things that I've done? And all that. So our feelings can really shake us up and it can be really volatile and we can feel really good on some days and we can feel really bad. But here's the thing is we need to be grounded. And I love the wording that was chosen with um, uh, whenever, whenever they came up with the three SG 
things. Uh, it fits together really nicely, but also I think that it's very intentional to say that sacrament grounds us. Because it's something that we do every single week where you come up and it's not just, uh, so, it's not something that we're primarily coming up to feel, but it's something that we're coming up and we're holding the tangible body, the tangible uh, bread, the tangible just in my hands uh, blood of Jesus. And it's this remind, and we're reminded of, of things that are true no matter how we're feeling on that day. Are you tracking with me? Hopefully this will get a little clearer, but um, I want to just go through with the rest of the time that I have and um, talk about a few truths that, sac- that the sacrament grounds us in. Okay, so uh, first slide here. The first truth that the sacrament grounds us in is that it's all about Jesus. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 25. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, get it out, or you can just read along on the screen. This is what it says. This is Paul saying that uh, on the night, sorry, uh, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay. Pop quiz. I'll leave the words up there. What is the operative word? What is the key word in this passage? This might step on some toes. Um, I don't think it's blood. I don't think it's body, necessarily. I don't think it's cup. What I think the operative word here, yeah, Jesus, or me, being Jesus. It says, do this in remembrance of me. See, a lot of times, the church can get caught up in a lot of good things that Jesus says to do. Our churches can get caught up in taking care of the poor, or our church is going to get caught up in the miraculous, or our church is going to get caught up in sound doctrine, or church attendance, and all these things that are really good, but we can lose sight of the most important thing, which is always Jesus. Jesus is what makes communion beautiful, because communion is all about Jesus. You see, to my shame, I think this is probably why I didn't get communion uh, very much, is I think I forgot about this. You know, back whenever we did uh, longer communion meditations, you know, I was asked to give a communion meditation. I came up one day, and I had this really great talk to give about Hezekiah. And how Hezekiah, you know, he had the armies coming up, and he had great faith, and he laid out the, um, the scroll before God, and then, you know, he prayed, and then God delivered him and saved all the people. And I said, have great faith like Hezekiah. And it was a really good talk, okay? It was, it was good. You probably remember it. But the next day, there was an email that went out from the elders, or I don't remember who it was, but uh, it said, and it was to all the people who give communion meditations, and it said, dear communion talkers, or whatever, it said, whenever you're giving a communion meditation, remember to make it about communion, or the cross, or just about Jesus in general. You would think that would be obvious. But here's the deal. Communion, when it's done right, is supposed to be all about Jesus. And the truth 
that the table, the, the reason that we come and do this every single week, and we make this the last thing that we do, we make it like the most important thing that we're coming together, coming together to do, is to remind us partially that it's all about Jesus. We, you, you get in this line, and you're walking up, and you look at this cross, and you come to his table, and you take of his body, and you take of his blood, and you remember him because it's all about him. Communion, if we do it right, it's going to ground us, and sacraments are going to ground us in the truth that it's all about Jesus. And we're going to go and do all the things that we need to do. We're going to help the poor. We're going to seek the Holy Spirit. We're going to try to have sound doctrine. But we're not going to let any of those things become primary. We're going to keep Jesus in the very center. And that is what keeps us grounded. The next thing, this is very far away. I feel like I'm walking like a mile away from y'all every time I go back to grab my Bible. The next thing that the sacrament grounds us in is that your sins are forgiven. If you go to Matthew 26, verse 26, this is what Jesus says. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body. And after taking the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Jesus gets up and he says, the purpose of all of this, the purpose of the blood, the purpose of the body, is for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this seems like it'd be really obvious, but the devil has a way of taking some of the most important things and twisting them and making them about anything but what Jesus made it about. And let me tell you, the sacraments ground us in the truth that your sins are forgiven. Now, how many of y'all have seen, have heard this passage right here? It's talked about in, in the context of communion. Uh, Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. How many of y'all have heard that preached and people, you don't have to raise your hand, but you've heard that preached and it says basically, if you have had sin in your life this week, you can't take communion or you might die. <laughs> I don't think anybody does the last part, but that's basically what Paul is saying, um, the dead part, not the if you sinned. That's not what this means, okay? This is talking about in the context of believers who were getting drunk and uh, gluttonous on communion and were excluding other people. This is not what this is talking about. But in the past, people have elevated so much, and this is good, the holiness of God and to the point where people, are, and preaching things like this as well, that if you have sin in your life, you can't come to the table because God's a holy God and you have sin and all that. Well, people preach these things, and it has made people afraid to come to the table. And you have to stop and you have to think, do I have, did I sin this week? How bad did I sin this week? And if I did, is it bad enough to where I can't come to the table? And it makes coming to the table a thing about fear and not about joy. 
It makes something, it's something that people don't look forward to. It was so bad that uh, back in uh, the 16th century, the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent, there may be multiple reasons for why they, they did this, but they made um, a rule that if you don't take communion at least once a year, then you're committing a mortal sin. You have to go take communion at least once a year. Because, in part, some people were so afraid to go take communion that they just didn't want to do it. They didn't know if they had, you know, confessed enough or if they had not sinned enough. And so it just became something that people were afraid to do and they just didn't want to do it to the point where they were having to force them to do it. And that mentality is when you know that you have it completely wrong. Whenever the, the table, if you are thinking of the table as the finish line, if you're thinking of the table as the goal, you have gotten communion completely wrong. You have gotten forgiveness and you've gotten Jesus wrong, actually. If you think that I have to do this, I have to be good enough, I have to not do these things, and if I do that good enough, I can come to Jesus or I can come to the table, you have got it backwards. The table is not the finish line, it's the starting point. You see, Jesus, when he went on the cross, he lived a perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live, and he went and died the death of a sinner that we were supposed to die, and on the cross, he said, tetelestai. He said, it is finished. And what he meant there is the work of your salvation and your forgiveness is finished in what he did on the cross. There's not anything that you can do to help him with that. You aren't going to help Jesus by not sinning enough this week. You're not going to help Jesus with your salvation by making sure that you didn't do this this week. Jesus said, if you believe in me and you have taken my blood and my body, that is enough for you. You are forgiven. It is finished. And so the table is not something that we're working towards. It's not something that we are trying to earn or be good enough for. It's actually the place that we start We don't try to get our sins taken care of on our own and then come to the table because we've earned it. We start at the table. Our sins are washed away by the blood and the body of Jesus, and then we go from there. And then we go try to please God. And then we try to go and live a holy life. Is this making sense? This is really good, and more more people than Paul should be amening. The table, the sacraments ground us in the truth that your sins are forgiven. That was one of my better points, and so I, if, you don't, if you're not, it's all, it's all downhill from here uh, in a bad way. I can never tell if downhill from here is good or bad. Uh, my next point, um, this is the last thing, the truth that sacraments ground us in is that Jesus welcomes you. This is one of the verses that really actually, this is one of the really big things that changed my heart about communion. Um, It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's such a a small verse, and it's something that we don't usually preach when we talk about communion. Um, It's kind of like just a side note. But I really do think that if you get this, it changes It really changes everything because it matters that you know not just that Jesus accepts you or not just that his sin, that your sins are forgiven, but it matters that you know with what kind of attitude 
that Jesus has towards you as he's doing these things for you. You see, uh, I, I told you that I grew up in church and we did communion every single week. And um, I also said that the devil likes to twist things and, you know, um, I don't think that they ever said it this way, but this is how I received it and this is how I understood it. Is People would get up there and they would do the communion meditation and I don't know what they said, but what I heard was, you did this to Jesus. You sinned and so God sent Jesus to go die on the cross, and they beat him, and they stabbed him, and they whipped him, and they made him carry a cross, and then he died. And so now, you're holding your body, his body and his blood in your hands. Now sit there and think about what you did to Jesus. And that was how I perceived, and so I can only imagine, like when I was taking communion, that God was probably not super happy with me about what I did to Jesus. So I tried to sit there, and I tried to be reverent, and I tried to, you know, feel as bad as I could about it, and at the same time a little thankful. But it wasn't until I, I and I kind of honestly, I came to communion, even like this, up until just very recently, until one day it just hit me as uh, I was walking down the aisle, and I came to receive the bread, and this happened on multiple occasions, it wasn't just one time, but I would come up here and I would, I would take the bread and I'd be thinking about what I did to Jesus, and Terry would be standing there, and he would give me a hug as he's giving me the body, as he's giving me the bread, and he would say, Jesus loves you, brother. And it totally shifted the way that I understood communion. From what I understood before is I'm sitting there trying to feel bad and think about what I did to Jesus, when all the time that's not what's on Jesus' mind. Jesus isn't, his goal of this wasn't to make me feel bad about what I did to Jesus. Yes, we, we need to remember that our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. And that, that is an important thing to remember. I'm not trying to discount that or that we shouldn't feel bad about sin. But that's not... I'm proposing what is the primary purpose of communion, and it's not the primary attitude that God has towards you when you come to the table. You see, Jesus, I had to realize that he wasn't just begrudgingly allowing me to come and take the body and the blood and saying, well, look, this is, you know what, this is what I had to do for you, you sinner. But really, Jesus was inviting Terry and, and Charles and, and Bruce and all these guys who are giving me the body and the blood with a smile and with love and with a kind word, they were actually starting to help me actually see how Jesus is receiving me, how Jesus is receiving me at the table. Jesus, you see, he didn't just die on the cross only because God sent him there to do that. He did. God sent his only son into the world so that those who believe in him you know, would not perish. God sent him. That's why Jesus did it. But the Bible also says in Hebrews that Jesus went through what he went through for the joy set before him. And I propose that that joy that Jesus had set before him was this table, this meal with you. The reason that he did it is so that you could come to this table with your sins washed away and nothing standing between you and him. And now it's just you and God being able to come together as friends in a meal because of what Jesus did for you on the cross.
So I hope that if there's any of you who are still in that mentality that I, that I was in, that Jesus is not super happy about you coming to the table. He's not super happy about what he had to do for you. I hope that you can see Jesus smile as he welcomes you to the table from now on. Because it changes everything. Okay, I lied. I said that was the last thing, but I got one more bonus truth for you. The last thing uh, that I wanted to show you is that the sacrament grounds us in the truth that God is for you. You see, one of the big things that people say and, and a lot of the big problems that people have with, um, you know, the church as a whole, especially in America, is kind of going towards making uh, church less churchy. We want it to feel more like something that people are comfortable with, like a concert or something that um, isn't going to freak people out, and that's okay. Like, that's some people's ministry philosophy, but the reason that they do that a lot of times is that people are like, what, what does this really have to do with my life? What does this table, what does this bread and this body, and talking about eating Jesus, what does that have to do with me and my everyday and my bills and my kids' soccer practice and my relationships and all this stuff? And it just seems a little irrelevant. That's like one of the big critiques of it. But here's the deal. is like this couldn't have any more to do with your life than anything else that we talk about. This is more relevant than you know. And here's, and here's why. This verse isn't really used much when you talk about communion, but I think it's super relevant. In Romans 8.32, <clears throat> 8.32 through 32, um, that's a typo. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, a lot of times we try to like, in our effort to uh, be reverent, in our effort to, you know, fix our minds on Jesus, we try to, like, get everything out of our minds when we uh, come to church, or, like, especially when we come to the table, Um, and I think that's good, but a lot of times, I know I've come with guilt thinking about all the stuff that's going on in my life, or I'm thinking about this person, you know, who's sick, or this problem that I have, or this stack of bills, or whatever you have going on in your life, and it becomes actually kind of hard to think about Jesus, and to think about uh, the table, and think about his body and his blood, all this stuff. But here's the deal. Here's the beautiful part about communion, and what, what this verse says right here in Romans, is that God giving his son Jesus was the evidence that he would do anything else for you. You would think that it would be enough for him to give his son. I gave you the most important thing. I gave you the treasure of heaven. I gave you the son of God for the forgiveness of your sins. I think you can handle it from here. But what Paul is saying is that is not how God thinks. How God thinks is, look, I gave you the treasure of heaven, the son of God, the most beautiful thing, my most prized possession, my son. And that is the evidence that I would do anything else for you. So when you come to the table and you look at the body and you look at the blood, don't just think your sins are forgiven. That's a huge part. But also think there is nothing that God wouldn't do for you. There's nothing that's too big. There's nothing that's too small. He cares for you. The body and the blood are the evidence of God's goodness and his generosity in all things. Not just Jesus forgiving your sins, although that's the most important thing. 
I'm hoping that sacrament and the communion and um, all of that can um, be helpful in grounding you in the truth as it has for me. I hope that as you come today and in days in the future that you would see and be grounded in the truth that your sins are forgiven in the way in which Jesus invites you to the table and that seeing the body and the blood of Jesus before you that you're going to take is all of the evidence that you need that God is good and that he is kind and that he is generous and he would do anything for you.